This podcast is sponsored by GCK Consulting, a next-generation political consulting firm. From fundraising to polling to campaign strategy, GCK is helping get millennials elected all across the country. To learn more about GCK and their services, just go to gckconsults.com. Again, that's gckconsults.com. All right, now to the podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Rubin, and today I'm joined by Sam Jeske, Senior Fellow here at MP, and Jamal Bowman. We're really excited to have Jamal here today. He's the Democratic nominee for New York's 16th Congressional District, and he defeated the 31-year incumbent Representative Elliot Engel in the seat's primary election in June. Jamal, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you, Nathan. It's a pleasure to be here. We are so excited to have you, one, because Sam and I both live in the district. We actually voted for you. Um, But before we get into the primary race, we want to start a little bit with your background. Can you introduce yourself to our audience here a little bit? Before you got into politics, uh, you were a middle school principal and you were focused on, uh, uh, I believe, really educating the next generation. So if you wouldn't mind, tell us a little bit more about your background. Sure. So as you mentioned, my background is in education. Uh, For the last 20 years, I've worked in public schools. I started my career in 1999 as a elementary school teacher uh, before becoming a um, high school guidance counselor and dean of students. And then about 11 years ago now, uh, I had the opportunity to become the founding principal of the Cornerstone Academy for Social Action Middle School, which is located in the Northeast Bronx, which is also in the district right near Co-op City. Uh, and that is a, a district school. It is not a charter school. I always have to you know, clarify that uh, for listeners. Um, yeah. So, you know, while working in education, I worked in Title I schools pretty much my entire career. Uh, Title I schools are located in historically uh, neglected communities and are schools that are historically underfunded. Uh, so that's the population that I served. Uh, so my job didn't just consist of working as a middle school principal. I was also an education organizer uh, fighting for equitable uh, public school funding, uh, fighting to have restorative and trauma-informed practices uh, in our schools, uh, fighting to end the school-to-prison pipeline, uh, and working with others to ensure that our schools are culturally responsive. Um, so that's what I've been doing the last uh, 20 years before deciding to run for office. And I'm also uh, born and raised in East on, in the East Harlem, Upper East Side uh, section of Manhattan, uh, raised by a single mom along with my three sisters. So let's discuss your decision to run for Congress. You were recruited by the Justice Democrats group, um, inspired by the victory of AOC in 2018, and described your campaign platform as anti-poverty and anti-racist. Walk us and our audience through that decision and why you ultimately ended up going forward. What is your why? Yeah, so I was tired of children suffering and dying, uh, not just in the Bronx, but all all over the world. I mean, that's that's the short answer. Um, The year prior to me deciding to run uh, during the uh, 2017-2018 school year in the Bronx, 34 children died within the K-12 school system and 17 died via suicide. And there's a direct connection between those horrible outcomes and the trauma our kids and families deal with 
and poverty and bad policy uh, that often comes from Washington. And our elected officials were not sort of elevating that conversation and centering the needs of our children and those uh, who are most vulnerable. And some of those deaths uh, really hit home in the district. One girl uh, in Co-op City, a ninth grader, uh, after being uh, bullied in school, uh, committed suicide by jumping off a building. Um, another girl uh, was murdered uh, outside New Rochelle High School after a dispute with another uh, female student. Uh, so our kids are suffering. You know, when you look at suicide rates over the last 10 years uh, in historically uh, marginalized communities, those rates have gone up, uh, starting with kids as young as nine years old. Uh, so we're in a crisis, uh, and that crisis is not just isolated in, in marginalized communities. We have a system where you know, three individuals own more wealth than the bottom 50% of the country. And, um, you know, what I noticed in terms of our representative at the time, Congressman Ingle, in the 2018 primary, uh, only 30,000 people participated in that primary and Congressman Ingle won with 22,000 votes. Uh, so for me, that was indicative of an electorate that wasn't engaged, uh, which to me provided an opportunity to really bring everyone in the district into the democratic process, both at the congressional level and the local level as well. So the race, when you set out to win it, it was by no means a done deal. Congressman Engel was a, a powerful incumbent. Um, it really seemed like the, the deck was stacked against you, for lack of a better term. There were, I think, you know, as many as five or, or six candidates at one point, uh, but they all kind of slowly fell. Um, and Don, and Don who came on this podcast, um, actually dropped out and endorsed you. And then state Senator Alessandra Biagi, uh, withdrew her initial endorsement of Congressman Engel. And then I believe endorsed you a, a couple of days later. What was that momentum like building? Um, and were you confident from the, from the get go that you were going to win or what was that like? Talk us through how that race developed over time. Well, the momentum uh, was incredible. Uh, yes, we were confident we were going to win. Uh, we didn't know exactly how other than knocking on doors, which we couldn't do anymore uh, once the pandemic hit. But we were we were all confident that we were going to win. And it was just a grind. You know, we were grinding. We were putting in the time, putting in the work. Uh, I had an amazing team around me. I mean, the best in the business when you talk about uh, Rebecca Katz from New Deal Strategies, uh, Luke Hayes as a campaign manager, uh, Waleed Shahid for comms, the Justice Democrat infrastructure, uh, Bilal Tahir for field, Bianca Guerrero. Uh, I mean, we had we had an incredible team and we were able to garner uh, over 60 endorsements, I believe, from individuals and, and grassroots organizations like the Jewish Vote and many others. So, you know, we just had an incredible team. And yeah, we were grinding, man. You know, we were grinding, 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 grinding. And then, uh, you know, it was like a series of events that happened like like back to back to back that, that really propelled us toward the finish line. Uh, the first event, unfortunately, was uh, George Floyd's murder um, that the entire nation saw. Uh, when I saw that video, like I couldn't contain myself and I just made a direct-to-camera video uh, just sharing my emotions there. Um, and, and that got a lot of attention. Um, a few days later, uh, Andam decided to suspend his campaign and, and support our campaign, which, which was huge. 
for us. And, and it really says a lot about him and, and his character. Um, the next, I want to say like a couple days later, you know, Ingle has this hot mic moment uh, that captures the national attention and takes us from raising about $3,000 a day to raising on average about $65,000 a day. And on that day, we raised $110,000 after his hot mic moment. The following day after his hot mic moment, AOC endorsed us. Uh, I want to say one or two days later, uh, Senator Biagi and Comptroller Scott Stringer jumped in. And then it was just, I mean, it was like Bernie, Warren, Katie Porter. It was just back to back to back. So, yeah, man, we had to win at our backs uh, toward the end of that campaign. But initially, man, it was just a grind, you know, fundraising and, and you know, seeking endorsements and, and house parties and all of that. What's up, everybody? We're going to take a quick break from the podcast and let you know that Millennial Politics is now on Spotify, Stitcher, the Google App Store, and iTunes, basically anywhere you get your podcast. If you like the show and like hearing from previous guests, such as Mayor Pete Buttigieg, former presidential candidate Andrew Yang, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, and Ayanna Presley, and many more, make sure you subscribe, give us five stars, and leave a review. High ratings and good reviews are some of the best ways people can find us. And if you want to see us continue doing this work, we hope you'll consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash millenpolitics. Every dollar will go directly towards our mission of shining a spotlight on progressive candidates, causes, and organizations. Again, if you want to continue hearing interviews and conversations just like this one, we hope you'll visit patreon.com slash millenpolitics and join the movement. All right, now back to the show. So focusing in on your district specifically, what are its major needs right now, both related to the pandemic and the current economic situation, but also overall? If you were in Congress right now, what is the single most important thing that you would be advocating for? Man, there isn't one single most important thing. There, there are many things uh, interconnected. You know, I, I can land on economic inequality as the thing, but everything connected to that matters greatly. I mean, if this district were a country, uh, we would have the eighth worst economic inequality uh, in the world. Um, we have both the highest number of WIC recipients and Scarsdale, which is the second most affluent uh, community in, in the country. Um, so that that's what we're dealing with. So, you know, when you look at issues of housing, um, we need 70,000 affordable homes right now in our district. That number probably has gone up. Uh, due to the pandemic. Uh, so when you look at public housing, which has been disinvested in, when you look at homelessness, and when you look at overall affordable housing, um, that is something that needs to be addressed. When you look at jobs, you know, and economic development overall, uh, one of the things we're definitely going to be fighting for as soon as we get there is a federal jobs guarantee and raising the federal minimum wage from what it currently is, which is seven twenty-five, which is deplorable, to at least fifteen dollars an hour, uh, and if if min- if the minimum wage had grown with GDP over the last forty years, the minimum wage would be twenty five dollars an hour. So that's just exam- an example of the economic inequality, not just in this district but across the country, and the economic oppression uh, that currently exists. Um, finally, you know, focusing on environmental justice in alignment with the federal jobs guarantee under a Green New Deal. So what the Green New Deal will push for is a federal jobs guarantee in alignment with our goal of net zero carbon emissions. 
So dealing with the environmental crises, getting people back to work and growing the care economy, which are non-carbon jobs that includes uh, early childhood education, universal childcare, hiring more nurses, teachers, uh, and care workers, uh, providing long-term care to our seniors, and uh, retrofitting and building new infrastructure that is clean, green, and renewable. Um, so as I said, it's not just one thing, it's a lot of things that are interconnected that we need to focus on. So Jamal, I want to turn and talk a bit about racial justice and the social unrest that we've been witnessing over the last several months. You've already spoken publicly about your experience as a young boy in police brutality, as well as your experience uh, in New York City with Stop and Frisk. And it feels like despite the protests and despite all of the change that we're seeing very slowly, they're not changing fast enough. What, what could citizens do right now and what can legislators do in the coming months to work to repair the broken system of policing in this country? Citizens can continue to march in protests, whether that's in Washington, state houses, county houses, city councils, or school boards. To deal with issues of structural racism, which police brutality is a part of, we need every citizen, regardless of race or background, to, to demand change and march and be a part of the conversation and be a part of the democratic practices that need to take place to really deal with this issue and to understand that issues of racism do not live in isolation. Racism, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, transphobia, xenophobia, those issues are all interconnected. So it's important to build coalitions and demand that our legislators uh, draft policy to make transformative change so that no one under any circumstances feel marginalized, uh, criminalized, or oppressed uh, in any context. Uh, legislators are beginning to move the needle uh, in certain areas. So when you look here in New York State, repealing a 50A, uh, which allows for more transparency uh, in the police department is a good first step. Uh, the conversation around defunding the police, which is a reallocation of resources towards true public safety, has become a central conversation. A lot hasn't been done as of yet, but the fact that the conversation is there and there will be new representatives at the city council is going to, in the city council, excuse me, is going to be big. And what's and on a federal level, you know, if we are able to win the White House and, and win the Senate by we, I mean Democrats. We can pass uh, the George Floyd and Policing Act, which looks at, looks at issues of qualified immunity as a central issue. And qualified immunity is key because it allows us to hold uh, officers accountable uh, for the crimes that they commit and the violations they commit against a person's uh, civil rights, among many other uh, parts of the bill that are that are pretty good. The Movement for Black Lives uh, also introduced something called the BREATHE Act that I would love for everyone to learn more about. That BREATHE Act goes a little further when, it, when we talk about criminal justice reform and police brutality. Um, so it's, it's constantly drawing the connections between you know, the policy and the people and making sure people are engaged in holding elected officials accountable towards uh, pushing the policy that's necessary. So Jamal, you're a self-proclaimed progressive fighting for policies like Medicare for All, a Green New Deal, and tuition-free college. However, the current Democratic nominee for president hasn't endorsed most of those policies. So 
how do you balance supporting the top of the ticket and fighting against Trump and everything that we see in the Republican Party today, while also being a champion for the progressive policies you care about so deeply? Well, this is a great question. Uh, the bottom line is my job is to serve the constituents uh, in my district. Um, and I ran on Medicare for All and the Green New Deal and other progressive policies, and we won by a 16-point margin, which leads me to believe that that's what the constituents want me to fight for. Uh, so after we beat Trump, you know, God willing, we will continue to work with Biden and push Biden and hold him accountable uh, towards the policy that ma policies that matter most, not just in this district, but across the country. These issues are not unique. Uh, to this district. Uh, when you poll um, Americans across the country, uh, they, they have full support, are in full support of issues like Medicare for All and the Green New Deal and others. It's just the uh, corporate political establishment uh, continues to push back against those policies because these policies are going to impact their bottom line and their, their continuation of the economic oppression that we see happening. So it's about beating Trump first uh, and then working with Biden as much as possible and holding him accountable towards getting done what needs to get done, especially when we talk about environmental justice. If we don't make radical change in terms of how we uh, engage with environmental uh, injustice, uh, our planet is going to be very different in the next two, five, 10, 20 years. It's already impacting uh, tens of millions of people all over the world in terms of uh, food shortages and refugees crises and and war um so there's a lot we need to do with environmental justice and it's urgent and it needs to get done now jamal we know you're a very busy man so uh we'll ask one more question here for you on a personal note it was great to reconnect how can people find you how can they stay connected online how can they follow uh your work as, as you embark on your new journey Absolutely. So the website is bowmanforcongress.com. You can go there any day, any day to just remain updated on, on the issues and what's happening uh, with the with the campaign. Uh, you can also follow us on social media at Jamal Bowman NY. And my first name is spelled J-A-M-A-A-L. Uh, right now, between now and September 30th, we are holding uh, a series of um, census events. Uh, we are trying to get census numbers up, particularly in Yonkers, Mount Vernon, New Rochelle, and the Northeast Bronx. So anyone that can volunteer for an event or a phone bank or a text bank, uh, that would be tremendously helpful. And then right after that, we are pivoting towards, you know, full phone banking and on the ground operations to, to beat Donald Trump uh, so that we can begin to move the country in the right direction. So uh, BowmanForCongress.com, at Jamal Bowman NY. Uh, please connect, follow us, please reach out anytime. Uh, we're looking to build diverse coalitions to continue to grow this movement. And we want to we want to connect with and hear from everyone. Jamal, thanks so much for coming on. It was really great to have you. And we're super excited to see what you can do in Congress. Thank you both for having me. It was a pleasure. And to our listeners, thank you as always. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or Stitcher. Follow us on social media at Melen Politics. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Melen Politics. And of course, stay tuned for our next episode. Thanks. <laughs>